This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It's a great pleasure to have you, to have you here and to have you share this conversation with us and your experiences. And, uh, you know, we don't have, we, we, we have enough time to have a great conversation. Uh, but so I would like to first to ask uh, just a very simple question from each of you, which is, tell us who you are, uh, tell us about your life experience growing up, and how that is reflected today in your work, in what you do in these border regions. So my name is Regina Bernal, and I manage our entrepreneurship program at the University of San Diego. I'm originally from Mexico City, and I moved here with my family when I was six years old. So I am a child of this border. I have gone back and forth with fluidity. My family is all still in Mexico. I'm still here in the U.S., uh, and I found my passion. My passion is to really support entrepreneurs. I love creativity, and I really do believe that we live in the most unique place in the world, um, in one of the most dynamic borders. And I love seeing what we're creating. I think there's a lot to learn with this 21st century of the border, and we're recreating what this border looks like. So for me, it's very exciting to be part of that conversation and to really think about what is the future of the border in the innovation economy. Hi, good morning. My name is Guillermo Mejia. I'm uh, actually, I was born in Mexico City, but live in Tijuana since I was two years old. I'm, uh, uh, I have a BA in graphic design, but I, since 94, I've been working in, in tech with websites and moving to more elaborate projects. Right now, I work with MindHub, which is a tech incubator. We'll help, uh, help startups um, launch their MVP, either get their first customers or actually grow. We've launched in four years around 24 startups. Uh, 12 of them are active in some ways. Um, we have both entrepreneurs on San Diego and Tijuana working either for the Latin American marketplace or for the U.S. marketplace. Um, in a personal note, I mean, I've lived in the border uh, all my life. We cons- I mean, I consider myself a local Californian, even though I'm not uh, U.S. citizen. I spend my youth going to concerts, going to colleges, working for U.S.-based companies. So it's like uh, I feel this is my neighborhood, right? Um, and with that, uh, trying to figure out our space and, and what does uh, resources in San Diego and Tijuana offer entrepreneurs, we uh, launched this initiative called Frontera Founders, which where slogan is, we don't see a border, we see a new frontier. So we believe that uh, entirely, that there's a new frontier just uh, leveraging both the binational community. Well, thank you. Uh, My name is Ricardo Mora, and uh, I was born in El Paso, Texas, raised in Ciudad Juarez. Uh, Spent most of my life in Juarez, went to U.S. schools. And uh, my background is that I got involved in business uh, in the cellular industry and the food industry. Uh, And today our passion is really moving the needle on helping entrepreneurs, on helping local businesses, and on helping industry. So we're, we're uh, spearheading a model called Technology Hub in Ciudad Juarez. Uh, we're uh, helping people come together. Uh, we, we call this Connecting Minds, and uh, bringing the community together in a space to collaborate. Currently, we have over 40 companies in our ecosystem. Uh, we have a venture fund. Uh, that we help these companies develop. We have a fabrication lab within the space, and we're super excited 
about what's happening in the region. I mean, we get companies crossing over from El Paso to Juarez, and then we have companies coming from Juarez wanting to go over to El Paso. So that's a little bit about what we do. And uh, I have a six-year-old daughter and a beautiful wife, and uh, I like general aviation. <laughs> I heard that recently. Yeah. He's a pilot, too. So, um, so there is this common thread in the things you, you all said, and this is almost as if the border didn't exist for you. I mean, it is there, but it is not there. Um, actually, that reminds me of something that Norma Iglesias Prieto from San Diego State University says, which is that there are different ways to look at the border. It's like, you know, there is no border. There sort of is a border, or there is, there is no border because we deny it exists, or there is no border because we just move across it as if it didn't exist. What do you think has enabled you throughout your careers? When you look at your education, your background, your upbringing, mm -hmm. to move and to think of these regions as a unit. And when you look at the entrepreneurs and the people you work with, what is it about them? Who are those who are able to do mm -hmm. this movement across the board? I think I know what you're hinting at. <laughs> um, so for me, the, the border is very much there. <laughs> so um, I came when I was very young. But for me, my outlet, outlet was education. So I was very fortunate to go to school in the US. So in a way, my fluidity of the border came through my educational experience. But it was there. I mean, for my, my father owned radio stations. So in a way, he, the way he saw the border was with air and ideas coming back and forth. But for me, I, I did see the border. But I was very focused on my education. And I really valued um, the opportunity to be here and go back and forth as a student. So I think for me that was transformative in my understanding of the border and the openness I had in coming back and forth through education and being part of a university that allowed that. Um, well, mostly is, uh, Tijuana is so isolated than the, uh, from the rest of Mexico. <laughs> Just to give you a sense, so from Mexico City to Dallas, it is closer than San Diego to Dallas. So uh, we're so far away from Mexico City uh, and if you look around, I mean, the only place that we can grow your business or just uh, get out of town is San Diego, L.A. I mean, L.A. is about the same distance than Mexicali, which is the nearest uh, major city in, in Tijuana. Uh, other ref uh, references, downtown San Diego is closer to Tijuana than Carlsbad. So, I mean, that, that's just the natural evolution. I mean, we're so close. Uh, where are we going to do our shopping, our, our, our living, expanding, just driving and, and getting out of town? It's going to be in San Diego. So that actually encourages us to be more of explorer and look at California as our first uh, logical neighbor. So even there is a border. I mean, we just, that's, that's the only neighbor we have next door. I mean, we cannot think about Guadalajara, Mexico, or Monterrey. They're so far away, so uh, and inaccessible. We just think about San Diego and, and LA. And when business uh, uh, think about expanding, I mean, in the tech sector, 80% of small business, I'm talking about 10 people, 20 people, 80% of them export their services. That means they sell to U.S. companies. That's, I mean, small businesses in Tijuana export their services. That's a huge thing, and that's just the natural uh, 
the nature of our geo uh, geography? Well, in, uh, in my case, I, I definitely don't view the border as uh, something that separates us. I've always seen it as just going across, even when we were kids, uh, going across the downtown El Paso and shopping downtown El Paso. And uh, so, so the border, uh, from my perspective, is non-existent. Um, I've been privileged to be able to cross over uh, back and forth. Uh, not many have that privilege. And, uh, and you know, today we have those express passes and, and, and we can get back and forth. There's times that I go three or four times in a day. I'll have meetings on both sides of the border. You know, we're, we have that advantage. So what we try and do is, is uh, as a community, get this out to the rest of our, of our entrepreneurs, our business leaders, to help everybody understand that, that if we work together as a border town, it can make us all stronger. So from my perspective, it's, it's just been, and I'll share a small uh, story. I, uh, my first business venture was a hot dog stand down at the Juarez uh, Avenue. And I used to cross over to El Paso every Wednesday to Sunbeam to buy the, you know, the footlongs mm -hmm. and, uh, and then cross them over to Juarez. So, uh, you know, that's just how business gets done. And that's a real example of, of how we got started. So I think when we were preparing for this panel, uh, you brought up um, uh, Regina, the issue of mobility mm -hmm. across the border, and, and you describe it, Ricardo, as a privilege. Right? What uh, enables uh, us here, because we're all privileged, to have that privilege uh, versus those who do not have that privilege, to move across the border to do business and to buy and to shop and to find capital? to create a business. You know, and there might, there might be very basic things like, mm. like uh, having a passport, like having a, a sentry card, like um, having friends, like speaking the language, mm -hmm. uh, both. So can you just reflect a little bit on this issue? So I think speaking the language is a big part of it, but also <coughs> social networks. So I think that's a huge privilege that we sometimes <coughs> underestimate. Um, we talk about the influence of mentors in our lives, and for me, that has been trans transformative. So I think I've been able to grow because I have had people along the way to support me and to bring me into different circles and to help mentor me and, you know, have important conversations. So to me, that social network of people has been the greatest wealth in my life in, in, in that development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let me use another example from my childhood. So a lot of uh, broadcasters in San Diego establish um, TV and radio stations in Tijuana and the Mexican stations. And it's odd because when I was a child, I only had one station in Spanish and six in English. So there's a full generation of people who grew up watching American TV in, in the border, across the border. Um, and that's how we learn English. Oddly enough, it wasn't to school, it wasn't to education, it was watching TV uh, cartoons and TV shows and that pop culture. Uh, so mobility is more than just about uh, how close it is. It's about uh, cultural identity, about who we are, about life experiences. So uh, it's, again, if you go to San Diego, you'll see, or LA, you'll see a lot of people sharing common experiences with you because they grew up with uh, experiencing the same things you are. And it's, sometimes it's different uh, from the rest of Mexico. 
and even Mexico has like three areas. Uh, Mexico City and, and, and Guadalajara has a similar experience, but the South, uh, more rural experience are so far removed from our northern life experiences. So it's only natural that we gravitate to those type of, uh, 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 we look for aspirations in jobs, in doing businesses that are a match with us, and we buy products, and we want to live uh, with something we identify. So we're not gonna go back and look to Mexico City or Guadalajara because they're not within our, our, our own personal lives. Well, um, you know, I'll add, and, and I think mentorship is very important. We've all had our mentors, and we've all had people that helped us along the way. Um, that's part of our business model, paying it forward. And uh, in, in our case, in the work that we do in Juarez for innovation on entrepreneurship, we have several companies that showcase this cross-border, you know, going back and forth and understanding how they're getting enabled to do this. And an example is a company called uh, Negawatt. They're a U.S.-based company, started in, a, in an incubator in El Paso, uh, led by, uh, by a retired, uh, uh, you know, served in the military. And uh, he has his office in Tech Hub in Ciudad Juarez. And he's helping the industry on their, on their, uh, uh, their energy sector. So that's a company that sees it naturally. Uh, you know, he served in the military. And now, he, you know, he's, every day he's in Ciudad Juarez helping industry. We have another company from Ciudad Juarez that's called Traceability. And this company is, uh, is being enabled to go to the U.S. and they do automation. In this case, they're, they're working with the Internet of Things. Uh, and they have a program that, that allows uh, companies to be able to track their employees as they come into the workforce to have a, a faster start. So, so for us, we see this, this happening. This, these are the innovation uh, uh, themes that are happening across the border. And we're excited to share that. And, uh, and, you know, they get enabled by having a platform. They get enabled by having mentors and, uh, and being able to work in this, in this regional ecosystem. There is a, another common theme in, in the three of you, which is this creation of these spaces. In, in the case of, uh, of Guillermo and, and, and uh, Ricardo, actual physical spaces that become these meeting points, these convergence points, uh, I think... Uh, uh, Jamal, you use the word convergence. Um, so it's almost as if within these border towns you have places where you know, it's free to come together. In your case, Regina, the, the, the binational venture mm -hmm. competitions that, you, that you've done. Mm -hmm. Can you reflect a little bit on this issue of the creation of these spaces and why do they matter? Why do they matter in order to enable to do business here at the border? But why do they matter also to include... Uh, people that might not normally be included in these conversations? I think that it doesn't have to be a physical space. I think we're fortunate that there's a lot of openness in San Diego to help create the space, even if it's not our own. So uh, for the University of San Diego, what we've done with our pitch competition, we love including students from across the border, not just from across the border. We have all different nationalities. And what you see is the tackling of creative problems with a lot of different solutions. And there is wealth to that. If you're always listening to the same views, then you're always creating the same thing over and over again. But when you're able to bring diversity into the conversation, then you start to listen to different things. And it's not the easiest. And I think sometimes we miss the point. For example, we had a boot camp that we did with Guillermo, and we invited some students from across the border. And for us, we just said, come. 
but maybe we hadn't thought about public transportation or we hadn't thought about how they would arrive. So for me and for us, it was a learning curve of saying, if you want to create these opportunities, we also have to think about um, what this looks like and how we can facilitate those connections as well. That's when the border turns very real, right? When, right. <laughs> when, when you don't have public transportation, when you are waiting for two hours in line, um, and that becomes a real obstacle there. I mean, what about you, uh, Guillermo, in this? So, yeah, so we have a 4,000 square foot building. We have 150 developers in-house, and, and the incubator is one, just one part of that space of, 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 the, of the mine hub. Uh, we share those resources. But one of the things is actually um, having, breaking this thing that, uh, that oh, the, the U.S. and Mexico are like something different, right? So one of the goals is to actually achieve uh, that sameness, that we can actually compete with U.S. companies, that we actually want to, we could be at that level and offer that quality, that type of service. Uh, so one of the reasons why we participate in the B, uh, B2Pitch is that we want our startups to compete with U.S. startups. We want them to be as good as them, and we want them to beat them. Uh, yeah, we want to be the, uh, uh, yeah, so, so, but that's, that's a learning curve and actually training them. So, and facing those added challenges, because let's face it, the border is always going to be, the crossing is going to be always a challenge. Uh, being Mexican Latino is always be a challenge. Having to learn and to pitch in English has always been a challenge. We need to overcome that, those challenges, no matter uh, what happens. We need to actually get those entrepreneurs to face what's going to happen. Uh, raising capital, uh, it's going to be a challenge for uh, Latino startups. So let's go, ahead. let's go ahead and let's face it. So one of the ideas within that uh, is we understand where we need to be. We're trying to find those spaces that allow us and actually help us achieve those, those goals. At the end of the day, once we get to that place, we'll see the results. But that's why the, the, the physical space is so important. Mm -hmm. It's a space where you, we actually push them, but you have a, 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 a home that you feel secure. You have a, a team that actually not only mentors you, but actually understands your, uh, what you're facing. On the other side, if you're a, a U.S.-based entrepreneur or, let's say, an Argentinian or a Brazilian startup, and you want to expand either to Latin America or you want to expand to the U.S., that's like a soft landing, that space. We understand the culture. We face it every day. So uh, just going on and crossing every day and trying to knock doors and getting customers and understanding how to market to uh, a consumer in the U.S., well, we, we have that space that offers those expertise, and we have the resources that we can um, help you grow in that regard. Perhaps before we go to Ricardo, just to follow up on what you just said, uh, you mentioned about this entrepreneur from Chicago that is uh, uh, that before coming to Tijuana, had not discovered that there were a lot of business opportunities in Latin America. Uh, so talk about that a little bit, but let's talk about, you know, we have here, we saw the, the dot map of San Diego, Tijuana, this massive population who would be ideally bilingual, bicultural, many of them not binational, right? What do you think of this idea of these population here, many entrepreneurs mm -hmm. who have small businesses having access to the Latin American market. And what do you think of that market as an opportunity for them? Well, overall, the Latin American market is huge. It's like 300 million people. And it's underserved, greatly underserved. 
just to give an example, so you probably know Intuit or like uh, QuickTax or TurboTax. It's been in America for like since the 80s, right? So we launched the first type of uh, uh, system for Latin America. In that regards, it's really been underserved for the last 40 years. So if you want to go and really take that low-hanging fruit, Latin America is a great starting place. Uh, again, the U.S. competitive space is so crowded, uh, people are trying to uh, uh, go to Silicon Valley and just trying to compete there. Maybe you probably need uh, some space to actually grow, understand your need. So Latin America offers that great place, as, and there's no better space to grow that in, than in Mexico, and I believe in Tijuana, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mexico has such natural uh, opportunities within that. So we have not a Chicago-based, we have a Chicago-based startup, but an LA-based startup uh, was thinking of doing uh, their own startup for the U.S. marketplace. Uh, we were, they were invited by the U.S. consulate to Mexico, to Tijuana, so we talked about his model. And he, dis he discovered that there was a greater need in Latin America. So in one year, from shifting, just trying to discover this project, uh, he shifted from focusing on not only Latin America, but moving from a consumer base to a business model, a B2B model, and actually went to Chile, uh, raised uh, a seed fund, has just finished the seed fund, announced last week he has two customers, one in Chile, one in Mexico, and he's actually growing, and after year two, he's going to expand to the U.S. And that's an L.A.-based startup that he probably wouldn't uh, achieve that if he started in, 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 in California, trying to do the regular route. So going to an underserved market that actually requires a lot of services, uh, it's, a better, uh, it's a better bet than actually trying to go into a crowded field in California. Ricardo, back to the question of space. You have a very secure space. Can you tell us a bit of the history of why it's such a secure space and why now it's such a hub for innovation and how does it bring people together? Okay. Well, we do have uh, probably one of the most secure spaces for innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, we're, uh, we're housed in an old U.S. Uh, consulate facility. Uh, we have a two-acre property, 55,000 square feet of buildings. Uh, so the walls are about two feet thick. Uh, <laughs> we took off about... 70 bulletproof windows. Uh, we still have some in sight, so some offices, you might be housed in an office with a startup that has an actual window where you used to go get your visa in Ciudad Juarez. Perhaps somebody here went and, and got their visa there. Um, so it's very secure, but it, it, uh, it also, for us, you know, millions of people went there to get uh, a permit or a visa or, or, you know, get the dream, pursue the dream. And what we're doing, uh, we're working with the U.S. consulate as, as we speak to get entrepreneurs and companies that we can help them cross over, uh, you know, with our ideas to, to change families and, uh, and to do that. And the space is very important because it allows, it allows it to be real. And what we've learned is that it brings anybody that would like to innovate. And this is entrepreneurs that would live, you know, we have an entrepreneur that travels 50 minutes to an hour from where he lives, you know, up north in, in Ciudad Juarez, just for a boot camp. And then we, his friends start driving him back at night because they end late to companies. So the space, in my opinion, is very important. It's a place to mix it up. It's a place to bring art. It's a place, you know, we have an art department. We have the Fab Lab for fabricators. Last month alone, we had 59 events. 
So we build a lot of content. And you get empowerment women, you get all this. And this can happen in a space like it can happen at the MindHub or, you know, or in universities as well. So for us, the space is very important. It's a, it's a place where we can evangelize about innovation and entrepreneurship. And it makes it real. Now let's shift a little bit to, uh, I keep saying a little bit, I'm going to stop saying a little bit. <laughs> let's, uh, let's shift to uh, some very concrete, a very concrete issue related to starting and growing a business, which is access to capital, which I think you all have a perspective mm -hmm. on this. And it's a huge issue everywhere. Uh, it is a particularly uh, big issue here in border regions. And it is certainly a particularly big issue for Hispanics, for minorities, for women. Um, tell us about what you're doing. What is your experience in access to capital and uh, how you are creating these opportunities or not? So it is an area that I nerd out on. I love um, access to capital. I think it makes a big difference between having an idea and then it being left in an idea and not taking the next step. So for me, access for female entrepreneurs to investors is, is a big um, thing that I like to look at. So for example, this weekend we have a conference at USD that will bring female entrepreneurs from all over the world and also investors. So I think we need to do a better job at um, helping to train females with high capital that want to invest, but they're not used to it. They're not used to high risk investment. Um, they've, they're used to a lot of men around them or other people making decisions for their money but not, not necessarily theirs. So I think there's something there. It's, it's not all figured out. We're learning as well, but I think there's groups of women. We actually have some women coming from the Emirates that are going to be sharing their story. So I think it's not just that this region. I think it's around the world, and this access to capital makes a big difference to seeing women succeed, succeed as entrepreneurs and actually launching their companies because many times they have a great idea, they, are, they have traction, but taking that next step is difficult because it's a constant no when they're trying to raise funds. So, yeah, overall raising capital, that's kind of tricky. So um, let me start by saying there's no capital in, in Tijuana. There is some capital, but it's mostly focused on traditional, like real estate type of, uh, of businesses. There's actually no um, fund that actually understands a tech startup. It's hard to really... Uh, 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 get them in, the, in that space. But overall in Mexico, that's fairly new. So in Mexico, I can say that there's no, fairly maybe one, two, they're kind of rare. So it's not really that much that you can go on. Even in San Diego, San Diego struggles a lot with uh, finding uh, capital. Uh, the same issues we've, we discovered, uh, most, mostly in real estate, not a lot of tech startups. Uh, a couple within the La Jolla mostly f focus on uh, uh, medical, uh, medical and bio um, uh, solutions. Uh, uh, but now let me give you the other side. So one great advantage that San Diego has is actually if you're bootstrapping or if you have some seed funding, Mexico's a great way to expand your runway. So, I mean, we can actually, that's a great way to be more efficient. And actually, if you're at your early stage trying to figure out uh, uh, what's your next space, Mexico's a great way to actually have those resources. But also to discover and validate your, your, uh, your market. So, again, San Diego's kind of high, high cost of living, California, L.A. Uh, I mean, Mexico you can do it for six months and actually spend that time in your product, in your company, uh, accessing customers from both sides of the border. 
and actually growing and validating. Once you have a proven business model, capital is fairly easy. Uh, and the other advantage of a Mexican startup is that we're so close to California, you, don't, you can actually incorporate in the U.S. Not only a Delaware-based company, but I actually have offices in downtown San Diego uh, and service your customers on either side of Latin America or, or, or the U.S. And that's a huge advantage to attract uh, funds from the U.S. I mean, a lot of U.S. investors are kind of iffy on investing on Mexican-based companies unless they have some experience. But if you're a U.S.-based company, a LRC or a corp, I mean, they won't have an issue if you have offices in San Diego. So I think that's a huge advantage that the city of San Diego should be thinking about expanding that uh, because we are uh, of, uh, able to provide a lot of new businesses uh, incorporated in San Diego. And from there, um, even growing, even expanding, uh, we'll have some sort of advantage uh, of other resources. The other, and the final thing we do is we do understand there's, we have in Tijuana and San Diego limited resources. We want to leverage them. So we want to understand what resources uh, UCSD has, USD has, with Tijuana, WABC, CETIS, MindHub, uh, Hub, uh, and, and Juarez, and offer them to the community of entrepreneurs. Because in that, there's, if it's, not value, it's not capital, but there is resources that could help you grow and actually make you push. So that's like an alternative way to finding uh, startups. Ricardo, you have skin in the game in this capital question, so can you tell us about how that came to be and why? Sure. So um, I'm, uh, I'm part of a fund that got started in the border of Ciudad Juarez, El Paso, and uh, we have a venture fund called Sava Investments, and we invest in early-stage companies. So, so this was a conversation by 13 leaders of the community. And we had many conversations come together and said, hey, can we build a fund that is a high-risk vehicle that will invest in startups uh, that would help validate business models to take them to commercialization? And besides being a fund for these entrepreneurs, uh, you know, we all decided to put a little bit of capital, uh, set up the fund through many, many conversations, and possibly you know, have failure with it because it takes a lot to do one of these funds. So for us, uh, today we're a fully subscribed fund. We've uh, invested into nine companies. Some are from the region, others are linked to the region. Uh, but the most important thing that we found that this capital does is that now we have 60 investors. 55% of them are from Mexico, 45% from the US, have come together and they believe in investing into these type of companies. Mm -hmm. so, so it has been a great uh, vehicle to understand how we can improve our, our, our opportunities for startups and for smaller companies. Uh, in reference to, to the competitions that we do, we also started a coalition uh, called Innovation Frontera. And uh, through Innovation Frontera, we have a, an area called Innovation Frontera Sharks. So we run a competition and we invite some of these investors that are part of the fund to, to come and sit at the chair and be able to, you know, we call it spray and pray. So, <laughs> so you know, to, to give seed money for the initial just idea phase of this. So, you know, last year there was some spray and pray money. Uh, there's three companies that are still alive. And now they're getting ready to pitch to the Saba Fund, which is amazing. And, uh, and, and uh, so I encourage, you know, this region to come together, get a couple of, of thinkers in this process to build a fund. It doesn't require a lot. It just requires people coming together. That's, 
that's basically it. I was gonna, thank you, Ricardo. I was gonna ask both uh, uh, Regina and Guillermo. There is indeed this massive wealth in this region. Sure. Uh, a lot of it is Mexican, on both sides of the border, by the way. A lot of the wealth is is uh, is of uh, is of Mexican origin. Um, what would it take to unlock? Let's call it unlock. By I mean like a, a desatorar esa riqueza. Uh, that is going into real estate for the most part. And by the way, this is not unique here. Being from Monterrey, I can see that. Uh, it's sad to see that in one business of Mexico, mm-hmm. the only thing you have going on are buildings. Well, that's not the only thing you have going on. There are many, many other things going on. But the question is, how do, what would it take to redirect that wealth? And Ricardo, maybe you can comment on... How did that happen, you mm-hmm. know, in, in Juarez El Paso? You know, one of the remarkable things there is this, uh, the sophistication of the civic and business leadership that exists there and have this vision of the, of the economy. Mm-hmm. So I think what Ricardo said of the spray and pray <laughs> is something that culturally we struggle with. So what I've seen, sometimes it's easier to raise money if I show you a physical food truck and tell you how much it is than if I show you a pitch talking about a technology that you don't understand. So I think this new culture of investing and what I'm starting to see more is the, the third generation, so a family business, this third generation that has more of an understanding of technology, of what that means. So I think it's, you're right, I, I, the wealth is there, but there is a lack of understanding of what this angel, even angel investing means. What about growth capital? You know, there is almost this this uh, gap, you have risk capital, we have big banks. What about the middle ground? Uh, I don't know if you can comment on that, anyone else there? I I think, again, it has to do with the the culture piece. Because even understanding that type of investment is very different than understanding the investment of real estate or what we're familiar with. So I think uh, I'm very proud of the work you've done in El Paso, and I think there's work that we could do in San Diego in that space, because there is the net worth, but maybe there's not the, the, the training and the understanding of what a good investment looks like, what you need to be looking for. That piece of it, I think, is a big one. Yeah, so overall, I mean, investors are not really, they're risk averse, right? Even if they're willing to go to risk, they're not willing to risk their money uh, if they don't really understand that space. And it's hard to actually uh, pitch this general concept of what you want, and if you haven't had any proof of con- uh, proof that actually will get them uh, to convince investors. So that's a challenge. Uh, there's, I mean, we need investors who really understand the tech space, understand what technology and what the future of uh, is coming. We tend to look at the past, not at the future. So let me give you an example. So my, uh, our company, our parent company, is 150 employees. It actually invoices about, uh, about the same that a large 300-building maquiladora uh, uh, invoices. So, and it's just one shift, not three shifts, and it's half the employees. That, mean, that should be the future of, of Tijuana, not the maquiladora model, but actually greater value, more tech-based, scientific-based uh, startups. And that hasn't really permeated through within uh, the um, uh, business community and the investment community. There's only one, two, maybe three models in Tijuana. They're becoming more common. So it's going to take some time to actually get people to understand that this is the new economy of Tijuana, not the traditional manufacturing-based model. 
Uh, and, but the other thing we should be really aware is that maybe for the entrepreneur, it's not really in their best interest to raise money really early stage if they haven't really proven their model. So let's be very, very careful about that. If you don't have a proven model, don't go out and raise money. Wait until you have a proven model. That's why the resources are so important. Uh, you don't have like uh, spending on your credit card or you don't have like a rich uncle or a, uh, that actually will give you like, oh, $50,000 to go and spend in Mexico. Uh, that's really not, not common in, in Mexico. So you really have to uh, hustle to get your product into the marketplace. Once you've proven, proven the, 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 the model and have some customers, then you should actually go to find those funds. So we're not really, really excited about those uh, really early stage uh, pitch competitions. We want them to have actual customers, a proven model, mm -hmm. and we'll help them get there, but that's probably the best place to start. Um, in, uh, in what we do, uh, we have seen that, yes, uh, uh, there's a lot of money on the south side. And there's a lot of money invested in real estate. Uh, but what we have done is that through many conversations and uh, many meetups and talking to the economic development leaders of the community, we have been able to get them to understand our value proposition for the 21st century. And, uh, and we always call this, you know, evangelizing about innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, I, I mean, I remember having these conversations. We have a pitch deck and we say, listen, we're trying to move the needle on this. Uh, will you give us some money so we can sponsor a project? They're like, nope, you guys always come to us for money. Today, the story is different because we've been at it. We've been evangelizing. We've been showing what's been happening. So, so I, would, I would say that, that capital is there. We just need to be showing the community leadership how they can invest a little bit of their money into these startup, you know, startup companies or already companies that are accelerating. Uh, we tell people, and this is what's going to happen, in the next 10 years from Technology Hub, we will build a unicorn. And that's a billion-dollar company, and we'll be part of it. And we want the investors to be there and be part of this. So that's part of our, of our pitch to bring this community together to understand that risk money on startups is, and, and, and companies is the way to go. Uh, we have uh, time for questions. There are microphones. Good morning. My name is Carmen Palafox, and I'm a venture investor. My focus is on manufacturing, and so I'm, I, I welcome risk. Mm -hmm. We are making our first investment into a Mexican SAPI, so I'm very excited about the cross-border opportunities. Um, at our venture fund, we also have an innovation hub where we support companies that are doing the Internet of Things, robotics, wearables. We do a lot of hosting for other countries, Singapore, um, China, all these delegations that come to learn more about how they can promote entrepreneurship. So I'm wondering how we can build that bridge with Mexico. What is Mexico doing to support innovation locally? Well, uh, there's, uh, so we should talk. I mean, one of the problems is within that. We, we support innovation. Uh, uh, within the manufacturing space, uh, it's kind of a hard sell, especially if we're talking about uh, risk and funding. If you want to fund a first run, it's still harder than just funding like a regular 
uh, software startup. Uh, there's huge opportunity. We have in, in Baja and whole Mexico, a huge base of manufacturing uh, capabilities. And we have the talent, we have the expertise. Uh, we're really good at solving processes and, and we have the supply chain fully developed. What we don't really have is people who understand the future opportunities. They're still looking for foreign investment, coming into the area and, and launching. We're, we need to generate that uh, intellectual property. On the scientific side, uh, we still haven't really developed uh, a scientist who are willing to leave academia and research and actually launch their own startups. And, and bridging that scientific and business side is a huge issue. So uh, we're pushing that uh, forward. So I think those two are the challenges. Um, getting people to skip uh, the traditional contract manufacturing model to actually innovate and go after uh, that higher uh, return type model uh, and, and getting uh, the, the scientific and, 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 and community to think about it, not in terms of science, more in terms of business. Ricardo, any comment there? Or? Uh, on, on what we have seen, uh, and I'd love to connect and, and, and you know, get our business cards, uh, you know, on the three levels of, of engagement for our community, which it's, you know, if it's public, uh, we have seen the Mexican side of the government starting to step up. Uh, the Secretary of Innovation, for instance, just sponsored, is the, you know, one of our larger sponsors for a huge event that we do in November. It's a binational event. So they're stepping up to, to you know, putting money on this. Uh, on, the, uh, on the businesses uh, or, you know, or the companies across the border, they're also part of our investors. So, so they're understanding, you know, the, the ways to, to, to do this. And uh, on the manufacturing side, it is, as you say, difficult to, to, to build a startup in that sector. However, manufacturing is also partnering up with what we're doing. I mean, we've done 12 of the leading manufacturing, uh, you know, connections and, and collaboration agreements within the last year. So, so it, it all comes together. The more content that you can bring them, uh, for us, has been an experience that, that, that government is stepping up, uh, the local leadership is stepping up, and also the industry in our case. Thank you. Uh, there was a question, Vincent. Let's see if I can articulate this. So there's some themes here about exclusion, inclusion, differentiation, uh, something that's very new, trying to make things happen that haven't happened before, and so on. And I'm I'd like to hear some comments about the actual role or the potential role or the shortcomings of media. So I think that's a very interesting question, and the, it immediately took me to the new media. So now, in a way, we all create our own media with a tweet, with what we share on social media. So we're getting information from a lot of places at the same time. So before we would buy the newspaper or we would go to a media outlet. But that, right, the relationship that we have to media is very different now. So I think um, that changes a lot of things. So maybe that, that Latino entrepreneur that is, wouldn't have never been discovered by a media outlet because their pitch would have never gone through. Now they have an ability to have visibility by getting followers, by building traction, by using that as a free um, way to brand their ideas and their company. So I think there's both sides. So you can argue towards 
that you know the media only only covers one side of the issue but i think that there's a lot of opportunity now with the openness to create your own media and to communicate your own message and story i i'd like to add to that as well um media for us when we got started uh zero budget for marketing uh well actually we did do like fifty dollars in facebook or something but, uh, but uh, we started with a communication department, then we called it a social media department, and today we call it Hub Media. So Hub Media allows uh, either companies or entrepreneurs or local leaders to showcase uh, a project each week. And we have these Hub Talks that we do every week, for example. So we have somebody that will do an interview on a Tuesday, they'll present on a Thursday, and by, by Thursday evening, they'll have about 4,000 followers. This is somebody that is just talking about a local idea or a local project. So media for us has been more of the, of the uh, internet media than, than, uh, than the traditional media models. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add? Um, just, uh, again, we focus more on social media. Um, and our focus is actually not like the flashy news site. It's actually building a community. And that support of that community is great, like events like this, we're creating a community. But guess what? That community becomes future investors, customers. So that has a greater value than just getting like uh, our spot on the TV news mm -hmm. cycle. So building that community is of greater value than actually being on, on the newspaper. There's a question back here. Yeah. Dr. Francisco Valle, uh, I have uh, two related questions. What is preventing these big-time Silicon Valley type of investors for going into Mexico, in your opinion? Because, for instance, they, they invest in all kinds of crazy ideas. If we have, say, six years ago, we're going to invest in a hotel chain with no rooms. We're going to invest in a taxi company with no taxes. We all have laughed, right? But there are some of them that look for those kind of things. On the other hand, what is preventing companies as well as uh, Mexican companies or organizations as well as the Mexican government for promoting, you know, what they can offer? Because it's nothing for these investors to go to India, to go to Scotland, you know, go all over the world. But why Mexico is not there? Well, I mean, uh, we've had a couple of venture funds from Silicon Valley come to our space and look at what we're doing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a fund called Hackers and Founders. They've been there. They're doing business in Latin America. And the advantage they see, so these are the, you know, the, the early adopters. They see they can find companies for cents on the dollar. And you can build them. And then you can take them over to the, you know, to the global markets. So we have seen that that started to happen in our space. I'll be brief. Uh, yeah, so even San Diego hasn't seen in seven years the influx of Silicon Valley capital. So it's not going to happen really in, in Mexico. What needs it's we need an angry bird. So that's a huge successful company that will build companies around. And that happened in Norway. And, and, and that model should be replicated in, 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 some, in some ways. And, and finally, um, Within the space of, uh, of uh, investors and, and, and actually attracting uh, funds, we should really understand uh, what the, the value is. So let's say a million dollars for a U.S.-based startup, if you want to have like 10 times uh, the return, that's great. A million dollars in Mexico will actually 
offer you more time to actually create and spend that, but actually the return is the similar. So maybe you don't invest a million dollars in Mexico. You maybe invest a third or a half to get the same time of return. So we need to understand that that's, uh, space. I'm going to issue a challenge for you. Uh, you talked about the entrepreneurial spirit that we have here on the border. You talk about the uniqueness of the border. Uh, that's all in good, but the challenge is this. We have a lot of issues that Carlos was talking about initially about the uh, optimization of flows. That, that's sort of the narrative, right? It, but it is an important part of that narrative, and it is something we have to work on. If we got together as entrepreneurs, if your organizations uh, of entrepreneurs got together and said, you know, let's, let's really do create an imprint for what the border is going to look like from a Internet of Things, from a uh, intelligent, tra intelligent transportation systems point of view, from a wait time point of view. Let's try to resolve the local binational problem that we have here, because as you know, El Paso Juarez has the same issues. Laredo has the same issues. So why don't we create that uniqueness? We improve on that uniqueness by taking on our entrepreneurs and working on the problems and the challenges that we have from the border innovation perspective right on the border. Gustavo, is that an invitation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, a, for, a, for a competition. Is it an invitation? So I, the first thing that comes to mind as well is this whole village of support. So to land at the conversation you're speaking about, you're going to need to bring in a lot of different parts. So I think the universities will play a huge component of support, um, the startup ecosystem. And then I think uh, something that I would love to see more is businessmen that have paved the way. I think the Smart, Bo Smart Border Coalition gave us an incredible infrastructure of support, but also bringing in new minds and new ideas and really seeing it like a design thinking problem of how do we creatively look at the border? What are It's changed a lot over the, and it will continue to change. So I think it's really mapping it out. I think San Diego has an incredible spirit of collaboration that we're very fortunate to see. So it's going to take a whole binational village of support bringing universities, business, um, the, both cities together to have the conversations. I love the design thinking idea for this. I think, I think the border, I think we should think, look at the border as a, as a design problem mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, with a set of constraints, with a set of opportunities, with a, you know, and just thinking about it in that way. It's, uh, yeah. It makes should, me we, curious. We, we, we should all <laughs> talk about this. Anyway. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, so I, I will focus more on, on immigration and, and, and the requirements of highly skilled workers for California and Silicon Valley. So, uh, so the business, you need like a million engineers in California to actually keep up the growth. Uh, and the visa is like going from, from 100,000 to 50,000 a year. So Tijuana offers a great opportunity. Uh, so for example, Amazon is looking for a second corporate headquarters in America. So why don't we pitch it San Diego, Tijuana, offices with an expansion to the Tijuana to actually uh, lower barrier for uh, um, migrant workers in Tijuana with a H1 crossing to actually service and work with the U.S. corporation. So those types of solutions would be great to actually increase uh, jobs and technology and diversity within the border region. For everybody. Right? Yeah, for everybody and, and allowing people from Latin America, from India, from um, Eastern Europe uh, to actually establish and service the, the greater uh, innovation sector in California. 
It's a great challenge, and uh, I think we all touch upon it a little bit as we go through our days uh, working with entrepreneurs. I, um, something that comes to mind is that what each one of us does, uh, and I would say it's, there's always uh, a budget factor on doing things and making things happen. So we always have just so much available to resources, whether they're monetary or their time constraint or people that help us to make this happen. I mean, I, I, I take in the challenge and I'm going to be looking to do something on our border to be able to, to impact that. That's a great idea to be able to do something, as you mentioned, with Amazon. No, no, no. Amazon is for Tijuana San Diego. I didn't tell you we've already, we're, we're in deep conversations. No, <laughs> no, no. Or, or, any, or any entities like that. I mean, it's a great challenge to take and we have to take it as a community. It takes many people coming together to make that happen. It's just not you know, a small group. So I would end it at getting a lot of people together to make that happen. Hi, my name is Dante Alvarado-Leon. I'm a software and platform senior research analyst at Accenture. Uh, I was born and raised in San Diego, Tijuana. I used to cross the border every morning and go to school. And my question to all of you is, how can we get the youth involved in innovation entrepreneurship? I left San Diego to stay in Silicon Valley. Over there, when I was at Berkeley, launched two companies, um, and I just learned a lot. And now I come back and I see all my friends working at Pizza Hut or they decided to stay at a community college. What can we do to make sure that talent comes back or that talent stays here or stays within borders, within the border and really spur the economy? I think we, there's a lot that can be done. And from a university standpoint, from having accelerators, what can we do here so that we want to come back and start our own companies and have the support? Because when I pitch to investors, this, the room did not look like this. It was a lot of people that looked very different from me. Yeah. So how, how can we teach and how can we do that? There is a lot going on um, right now in San Diego, Tijuana. And I don't think th this conversation of keeping talent in San Diego, it's okay if you go and you go explore, if you bring your talent back with you at some point. So I would love to connect with you and see um, how we can get you more involved in what we're trying to do. So, yeah, so the Latino, uh, not only Latin Americans underserved, but the Latinos in the U.S. are underserved. So that's a huge opportunity. That's a huge opportunity for businesses to focus on the, just the Latinos in, 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 in the United States. And within that space, education is one of the, the, those uh, things we need to serve better Latino communities. I would say just reach out to your to, to local uh, coalitions that are making this happen and have this mindset. Uh, and I would say become one of those leaders that can come, you know, bring people together. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Hi, um, I'm Paul Robin. I'm with the university here. Hi, guys. Um, I, I actually wanted to build on what uh, he had said, and given that we have little time, maybe I'll just make a quick comment. Um, Guillermo, you said, you know, one of the issues is we need to bring scientists together with business people. I, sure. I think that's absolutely true, but I think it's more than that. I think business schools t uh, teach um, managers. They don't teach leaders. Uh, we really need to be incubating entrepreneurs. We need to be incubating leaders. Um, and I don't think we pay enough attention to that. I mean, mentorship, as you mentioned, is part of that. Um, but it's certainly our responsibility as a university to do that. And as a region, I'd love to know, you know, get ideas on how we can do it. How can we really incubate people as opposed to companies? Um, create people who, you know, can work with risk, who can influence from positions where they have no authority, who really can work in the realm of what's possible rather than what's probable. Create more of that guy down there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we don't have enough entrepreneurs in this region, not in San Diego, not in Tijuana. Uh, I'd love to sort of get a discussion going on how we can do that. Thank you. Uh, can we leave it as a comment? Or do you want? Yeah, all right. And then the last one here. 
Thank you. Good morning, and thank you for sharing with us. My name is Marisa. I work at the International Community Foundation, and my question is about philanthropy. Have you seen philanthropy at the table using tools like impact investing, social impact bonds? Do you think there's a better way to bring philanthropy at the table? What's happening there? Um, so at the University of San Diego, we're very, we do a lot of work with social entrepreneurship, so we're very vigilant about what's going on with the social entrepreneurship impact investing. So I, I think it's very much at the table, but it ne needs to continue to be the understanding of business is not just for business, but there's a lot of impact that can be made. So I think the reframing of what philanthropy looks like in this age of difference, I think, is a very interesting conversation that's ongoing. I agree with Regina. We, we are interested in social entrepreneurship, uh, but we need to move from the philanthropy model into a real social entrepreneurship model. Mm -hmm. In our case, we have seen uh, social innovation happening. We've seen entities as a Borderplex Alliance, uh, you know, nonprofit organizations stepping up and, uh, and uh, <coughs> allowing us to, to give us a little bit of runway. We've seen uh, individuals come up and, and write checks. So, so our community is, is, uh, is building a new wave of, un of uh, philanthropist, as I see it, coming from a grassroots movement. Give us one last thought that you want us to keep before we step uh, from the stage. So no pressure. Uh, one last parting <laughs> one last thought. thought. The final. <laughs> one call to action, one inspiration, um, one thing to leave, to leave us. Uh, food for thought. Food for thought. So at a country level, we're neighbors, but San Diego, Tijuana, we're roommates. So we're very influenced by each other. We even have some phrases that uniquely we share that if we went further into Mexico, they would not understand. And we have an opportunity to create our own story. We're, as you said, pioneers. And they will, it will take a lot of different groups coming together. But I'm excited what we can create at the city level. And there's a lot of openness and collaboration. Uh, I'll repeat the Frontera Founders slogan. So uh, we actually. It, there's, we don't see a border. We actually believe that is a new frontier. There's great space to explore. So I invite you to explore that uh, new frontier, new opportunities for your businesses. I would say that innovation is on the driver's seat for the new 21st century economy. If you guys are going to invest your time, if you're going to invest your money, invest it in innovation, uh, in anything that's happening in innovation for, for this new economy. Thank you very much for a great conversation. Uh, thank you, Regina, thank you. Guillermo, Ricardo. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.